Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Good evening, and welcome to the History of Alchemy podcast. I'm Travis Dow. And I'm Pete Coleman from the Bohemian podcast. Today we're going to talk about one of the greatest alchemists of all time. And this, is, this has kind of been a long time coming. His full name is, uh, and pardon the pronunciation once again, but his full name is Abu Musa Jabir Ibn Hayyan. He's also known as Al-Barigi. He's also known as Al-Azdi or Al-Kufi or Al-Tusi also as al-Sufi, because he was a follower of the Sufist movements like al-Ghazali. Um, so if that all confused you, in the West, in medieval times and Renaissance and early modern times, he was just known as Geber. And a lot of times you'll hear a pseudo-Geber if you're researching alchemy. And uh, so we'll kind of break that down a little bit. But in any case, Jabir, as we'll call him for the podcast, he was he lived from... 721 to 815, and he was born in Tus, which is, uh, you know, a Persian region, region same as Al-Ghazali. So, um, you know, Persian, kind of today's Iran. And again, we have an example of a polymath. He was a chemist, alchemist, astronomer, astrologer, engineer, geographer, philosopher, physicist, pharmacist, physician. Basically, any field of science that they can considered a field of science or philosophy, he dabbled in it in some ways. So he studied it and uh, read up on it and became an expert in many fields along those lines and wrote a ton of books that we'll kind of talk, talk about and get into. And this kind of gives you an idea that Jabir is, is held in his highest esteem as being really the first practical alchemist. Uh, born and educated in Tus, he later uh, traveled to Kufa. Uh, he uh, really set the set the movement in this. Uh, can I say the gold standard? I think. Yeah, <laughs> excuse the pun, but works. yeah, he yeah. set the gold standard as the first practical alchemist. Uh, and this is very important because, you know, at the least, uh, this was his reputation that he was considered to be the first practical alchemist. Uh, it is argued uh, what he actually wrote and what he didn't write. And as early as the 10th century, this was already in dispute. So let, let's let's add to this right now. In Christian Europe, his name was Latinized as Geber. Uh, and in the 13th century, an anonymous writer wrote alchemist texts under this name Geber, but is generally thought to be uh, someone that we would call pseudo-Geber. In, in other words, not the That's right guy. That's what we call him today, yes. Right. Yeah. So, so we could definitely probably see through analysis of, uh, of writing and, and uh, time issues that this probably was not the same guy. Now, as we mentioned in the beginning, he's got many different names, and it's not because he's lost in the mists of history like some of our other alchemists that we mentioned on this podcast – that we don't have a lot of background on, so we assume mm-hmm. maybe this was four or five different people. Not necessarily. The reason why he has so many names is because that's where uh, people would associate him from as far as his, his home village or home, hometown. So when we talk about al-Azidi or al-Bariji uh, or al-Kufi, he was talking about uh, Kufa, yep. You're right, the, the region of Kufa. Mm-hmm. Or talking about al-Tusi, uh, he was born in, in, in Tusi, or al-Sufi, depending upon his, his relationship to the Sufism movement. Right. Yeah. Right? So, so uh, yeah, it's confusing. Are you confused? Uh, 
Um, yeah. Are you still with mm-hmm. me? Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. So, so he, he's not necessarily lost in history. makes it important for uh, amateur historians uh, and, and people that really want to follow alchemy that he stands clear as uh, the genuine article. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think that's part of it is that he has this huge body of work, whether he wrote all of it or not, even just the parts that he definitely did write is, is enormous. I mean, he's, it's, it's a full life's work that he did. And his early life isn't known so well. So we've just said that he's from Tus, which would make him Persian. But there are some people believe that he's from Kufa, who lived in Khorasan, or a Persian from Khorasan, who later went to Kufa, or some think that he actually was Syrian originally and later lived in Persia and Iraq. So, um, you know, that's it's not so important where he was born, but, yeah, that's where all the names come from. That's why there's some confusion. Well, I would have to ask another question with this, Travis. You know, when we talked about Al-Ghazali in, in several podcasts ago, yeah. he's considered to be one, one of the forerunners of, of alchemy in the Middle, in the middle East. Um, were these gentlemen actually peers at the time, um, or were they? Uh, uh, did they know each other? Most likely, yeah, no, because Al Ghazali was around ten hundred to eleven hundred. So, in fact, Al Ghazali was in the time of Albertus Magnus, and right before, around the same time as Thomas Aquinas. But, but as far as the Middle East goes, so they're possibly born in the same town, uh, but yeah, a good two hundred years apart. So, if anything, Al-Ghazali built off of what Jabir already wrote down and, and kind of Al-Ghazali, you know, commented on Jabir's works and that kind of thing. Uh, some of the things we do know is that, or that is more mainstream and accepted, let's say, is that he, he grew up in Yemen and he studied the Quran, mathematics, and other stuff. And it's in those years that he had a, a tutor that got him really interested in alchemy. So he started reading about this, and that kind of became his passion. Okay, And then he went to go study medicine in Kufa, which is why he has Al-Kufi as one of his last names. And he was eventually put under house arrest after a regime change. So, you know, if you want to put it like that, so the, the prince that favored him died, and then a prince came to power that didn't like him so much. And uh, so he, he eventually died in solitude. That's a, that's a long story short, but uh, that's his biography in a nutshell, more or less. And I, I didn't want to go too in-depth into it because a lot of his life is a mystery and there's a lot of speculation there. So I think what's more important for the show is kind of what he wrote down, like what are his works, right? In total, there's nearly 3,000 treatises and articles and, and what have you that are credited to Jabir. But in reality, like we already mentioned, that several of those were almost certainly not by him. So some possibly by his students, or later Ishmaeli followers. And then again, we also have Pseudo-Gaber a good, like, four or five hundred years later, writing under his name. Not really uncommon for uh, an alchemist to impart his knowledge to students or, uh, you know, other tradesmen that that studied under him. And as we talked about with with a few other uh, famous alchemists, uh, like Brahe, you know, probably would have a posse of people that uh, would follow, and as much like in Brahe's case, um, that there was someone who would say, you know what, that was my idea, mm-hmm. you know, uh, after, after the death of their, of, their, of, of, yeah. the, of their mentor. So, yeah, so others might flesh out the theories and the philosophy, right. but did he really write everything? Almost certainly not. I mean, um, but the, the, yeah, the texts really cover a huge range. We have 
cosmology, music, medicine, magic, biology, chemical technology, geometry, grammar, metaphysics, logic, artificial generation of living beings, which is awesome. It's like things like Gollum or that kind of thing. Um, astrological predictions, symbolic, imami myths. I mean, just all kinds of anything that he could think about and put to paper, he did. The 112 books uh, that are associated with him are dedicated to Barmakids, uh, the viziers of Caliph uh, Harun al-Rashid. Uh, this group includes Arabic versions of the Emerald Tablet. Now, if you, Travis, you remember the Emerald Tablet? We talked about this in our podcast on Hermeticism. Yep. Uh, we talked about with Trismegistus. We talked. We talked about uh, uh, using the Emerald Tablet with several alchemists, including Isaac Newton's uh, translation of it as well. So uh, it does have some some significance there as well. An ancient work that accrued to be valuable recurring foundation of a source of alchemy, uh, alchemical uh, properties and, and uh, research, right? Yeah, so, basically the foundation throughout maybe the Middle Ages. If you can, if you can try to associate this to maybe the Rosetta Stone uh, in a lot of yeah. ways that, that Napoleon found, uh, so we can figure out hieroglyphics today, this is that same sort of sought-after information with the Emerald Tablet. In the Middle Ages, it was uh, translated into Latin, uh, Tabula Smargadina, and widely diffused among uh, European alchemists across across the continent, mm-hmm. right? So very yeah. much used. The seventy books, most of which were translated into Latin during the Middle Ages, included uh, group included Kitlab al Zutla, uh, which means the Book of Venus, and the Kitlab al Ahira, which is the Book of Stones. Uh, the ten books on rectification, containing descriptions of alchemists such as Pythagoras, uh, Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle. Uh, we're talking all the big hitters here. So um, the 10 books, we're talking about these type of things uh, are very important because I would have to think, Travis, without him documenting this information or talking about philosophies or these type of things, it'd be lost to history. Yeah, yeah, I, th- I think that he, I mean, here's an example of the 10 books, but I think there's many old uh, philosophical writings that he quote, unquote, uh, corrected. And uh, so we, some of those I would say that we wouldn't have today if he didn't get his hands on them and kind of do something with them. Sure. So we can tip tip our hat to that, at least having that information. And one of the last set of books is the books on balance, which they think of more of a a theory of a balance in nature. Again, Mm -hmm. there are some of the alchemists that we've talked about in our podcast that that, um, focus a lot on the the nature aspect of things. And uh, some of it brought into a religious context as well. Uh, so he is one of those guys that I'm sure uh, set set the standard, and everybody else kind of followed or read up about him when they were making their um, their treatises on alchemy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, again, I mean, he was probably the basis for Al Ghazali and and then Albertus Magnus, Thomas Aquinas, I mean, especially Albert, Albertus Magnus. Remember, oh, he had yeah. he had a significant part in nature he, he, mm-hmm. as far as and got stuff directly from Arabic. Mm-hmm. And, oh, Absolutely. Yeah, sure. um, I'll, I'll mention one thing uh, pertaining to his life is that. Jabir had a somewhat famous or known teacher at the time, and uh, it's not really that important who he was, but I'll mention him because his name was Jafar, and Jafar is the villain in Aladdin. I was thinking you weren't going to go that direction, but you did. Um, Um, His full name was Jafar (laughs) al-Sadiq. Really? Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, no, that just happened. Because he was a bad guy in those movies. Yeah, well, there you have it. I don't think our listeners really appreciate it. Maybe that's where he... I wonder... (laughs) Where which Jafar is he based off of? I don't know, but so the Shia consider him the sixth Imam, so like a descendant of of Ali, the son-in-law of Muhammad. I don't know how familiar our listeners are with with Islam, but um, so a very very important person 
and Jabir actually spoke very highly of him and was re regarded as a wise man in his own right. So, uh, yeah, kind of interesting connection there, right, with the, the sixth imam. Um, well, I should say the, the Shia imam. His other influences were, by influence I mean he mentions them in his writings. I don't know how influential they really were, but he mentions Egyptian and Greek alchemists, Zosimos, who we talked about, Democritus, who uh, we will talk about. I think I already wrote the outline for him. Hermes Trismegistus, which, you know, Emerald Tablet, tablet you mentioned that. Agathodaimon, which we've done a podcast, podcast on him too. And uh, so we've covered them all, or we'll cover Democritus shortly. And uh, so, so he's written about all of these and kind of incorporated them and really took all these sources and built the foundation uh, of alchemy. After Jabir, there was nobody that worked, you know, worked alchemical stuff in a vacuum. Everybody related their work to Jabir in some way or other. Well, I, so, I also would probably call him an alch uh, alchemic uh, bridge builder in a lot of ways because he's taking from different areas of the known world. Now, keep in mind, this area of Iraq and Iran was a hotbed of just great information going on at the time. I mm -hmm. mean, it, it was a learned community. Uh, communities plural. Oh yeah, uh, and and he was there. Yeah. So so he helped set that, but he also took a little bit from the Greco era, uh, the Greco era. Uh, we're talking about Plato and Aristotle and and Pythagoras and Socrates, and and bridge that bridge that gap there. So I think if if you were uh, a, an alchemist, an aspiring alchemist, two three hundred years later, as we're getting into the Middle Ages. Um, you would say, I want one source to kind of follow what's going on. I'd go to this guy, Geber. Yeah, I mean, just for uh, just to complete the list, I mean, so we get all the influences. I, I, I read that he also wrote on Galen, Alexander of Aphrodisius, Simplicius, if I'm not butchering that, uh, Porphyry. Uh, these are all kind of known philosophers and, and thinkers of, of their time. So, um, yeah, really interesting. I mean, he kind of combined everything and built his own theories together. Let's talk about this creation of life thing. I know that, that uh, that's kind of a, an interesting one. Uh, so it's called Taquin. So what, what, what does that mean? Uh, it is basically creation of life. I mean, if you put it in a nutshell, there you go. Uh, it's, it's a synthetic life in a laboratory. Uh, we don't know exactly what uh, Jabbar uh, was meant by this, but we, do, we want to go ahead and assume that he meant like uh, breathing life into the golem or Frankenstein from Mary Shelley. Yeah, right? kind of you thing. know exactly yeah, uh -huh. Bring, bringing something from life to to from lifelessness to life, um, and uh, of course that would be pretty awesome for yeah, all kings involved. And let's go with that theory because that's an awesome theory. <laughs> we really don't know exactly. No, but I'm no. going to go with Frankenstein. That's I, that's what I'm going to go with. Right. You know, you you ever read Mary Shelley's Frankenstein? It, it's it's actually not probably what most people see when they see the old movies in, in the United States and. Uh, uh, those black and white movies or anything that came later, uh, it's actually a pretty, uh, you know, interesting sort of take on the philosophical reasons of, of why we leave things dead and we don't bring them back to right. life, right? Yeah. <laughs> right, it, because there's repercussions for that. And, of course, it, it crosses a lot of boundaries. Uh, but, you know, this is the stuff that would really excite somebody to be a, uh, a financier, maybe, mm -hmm. uh, of, of an alchemist saying, wow, you you actually have the powers to bring well, back that's, something that's dead to life. Yeah, that's the ultimate medicine. Right? I mean, yeah, I want the Lazarus effect here. Yeah. Tell me how to do this, right? Um, so, you know, again, the, one of the reasons we don't know exactly what he meant is because uh, that was the intent, to be somewhat cryptic. From the Book of Stones uh, in uh, 4, 412, uh, that, quote-unquote, the purpose 
is to baffle and lead into error everyone except those who God loves and provides for, unquote. So there's that esoteric, you know, writing in code again, or and we've seen this many, many times. Well, we, well I, because we, we see the same thing in, in the Christian world, if I, if I can say it like that, that there's a possibility and uh, that if you wrote more clearly, you could probably get in trouble in trouble with the church. So it could be that if he wrote everything black and white, that he could have gotten in trouble with the Islamic leaders of the time. That's that's probably a safe assumption to make. I mean, I would think so. Yeah, another interesting thing that he wrote about and kind of developed as a system is a numerological system. So his alchemical investigations were theoretically grounded in an elaborate kind of numerology. And this, again, takes us back to Pythagoras or kind of even like a Neoplatonic system. And so he said that you know, elements, you know, back in the, in, the, in the Aristotelian kind of view of elements, like the, you know, the four elements, is that the nature and properties of these are defined through numeric values. And in Arabic, he assigns these Arabic consonants present in their name, as they would be called in Arabic, and ultimately he came up with the number 17, okay? So <laughs> for some reason, I don't know, but if you take the elements and you kind of break them down how they sound in Arabic, you come up with 17. Take it or leave it. I don't know what that means. But, you know, he's also a great example of a Neoplatonist. Uh, you know, he wouldn't have called himself that. Just like all Neoplatonists, he would have just viewed his, or you know, believed that he kind of fell in line with Aristotle or Plato. Uh, but, again, it was, you know, had this occult, like this mysticism attached to it that is, and this even religious aspect of the one and all these things that come back to Neoplatonism, which, you know, if you want us to break that down for you, we did an episode on that a while back. So just look up Neoplatonism and, and you'll find it. Some of these beliefs were kind of that he he believed in spirits, which vaporize on heating, like, which, you know, tied to alchemy, it's like arsenic or realgar, orpiment, uh, camphor, mercury, sulfur, sal, ammoniac, ammonium chloride. So these are like they're spirits because they vaporize as you heat them up, right? And then yeah, he wrote about metals, you know, gold, silver, lead, tin, copper, iron, and carcini, which is an alloy, I assume. And then non-malleable substances that can be converted into powders, such as stones. So he kind of, again, he took all the things in nature around him and categorized them, you know, broke them down into, into some kind of system. And... And fortunately, at this time and place, a lot of the work that is related to that is still mostly in Arabic. So uh, if we have any really enthusiastic Arabic-speaking listeners out there, well, you know, get to work. Let's, uh... You know, and, and I, I think, you know, I'm sure it's been done before by other historians, uh, but uh, when you translate something from, a, from its original text to something else, there, there is some percentage that gets lost in translation. And I, I think you see this in... in uh, several religious sort of, of concepts too. You know, we talk about who really believes in the, in the, the, the Especially Bible. Especially if it's tied to philosophy or religion or Ex- something. Exactly. Yeah. You get you into the, you, you get into that. Yeah. It's like, well, you I, I, you only follow what's the original Greek, you know, or Aramaic or Greek, and then you say, well, okay, we, we would translate it to something else. It loses something. The King James version loses something from its original Greek. People will d- debate that till till the cows come home. Uh, but yeah, there there are some things that might might be lost in that. But you know, uh, Travis, when we kind of dive into uh, what we said at the top of the podcast here, that that uh, um, uh, 
that he was actually a practical a practical alchemist. Maybe the first the, the way that the we first. So he's going to put he's going to put his, his money where his mouth is. He's mm-hmm. actually going to get in there and start and start making things happen with what with what he knows about these elements. I think to most of our listeners. Um, you know, and their they, everyone has their, probably their favorite alchemists, and then there's also the ones that uh, they they probably don't want to talk about. I think of you know uh, Edward Kelly is a guy that that's I, I have a hard time calling him an alchemist, <laughs> more of a charlatan. I think he's many so many favorites it, it, exactly because so, he's so colorful. Exactly, but I think you you, ha- you have to put uh, Geber in this this own category here uh, because you know he could he could believe that he could turn base metals into gold and set that standard for everybody else to follow. But I right. think that's what the listeners are. That's a, what they want. A lot of the right. listeners are are here for that. So when they look at the podcast, I assume they say, Job "Oh, alchemy! I, yeah. I want to know how things made, are made into gold." All right. Well, the, then Geber is, is for you. All right. Uh, Jabir or Geber, as we like to be calling back and forth here to, on the podcast tonight, was was all about experimentation. He he would credit with he was credit with some about twenty basic types of lab equipment. Alembic and alchemical uh, still, which I think a lot of our listeners have probably have seen at some point in chemistry class, right? It's got two tubes, uh, or two tubs, and a tube going between them, all right, mm-hmm. to take from one substance to the other. Uh, there's a retort, uh, which is a, a sort of a ball with a cone at the top of it pointing downwards. Uh, you might have seen some of these in, in old medieval sketches. Um, and it sort of looks like a, yeah. a bird beak. You know, going yeah. down. All right. Uh, in addition, he's just des- he's described uh, many things that would deal with crystallization, distillation, um, taking things that have citric acid from lemons, acidic acid from vinegar, um, arsenic. Travis, what are some other ones? Tartaric acid from winemaking residues, antimony, which is a metalloid element, and that gets mentioned a lot in alchemy, by the way. Antimony, um, bismuth, which is a kind of flaky powdery metal worthless yeah uh <laughs> well good in alloys i guess um others you know our favorites sulfur and mercury he wrote a lot about them um he wrote about the idea of chemical p- compounds which is really interesting like the mineral cinnabar being a compound of sulfur and mercury okay so that you know that took a leap of faith a leap of understanding to kind of write about those kind of things um nitric nitric and sulfuric acids Separation of gold from other metals using lead and saltpeter. So actually, the the methods of of separation, uh, the purification of mercury, and then he he was responsible or partly responsible for introducing the word alkali for substances such as lye and other bases. Right. So like the opposite the opposite of acids. So that was that was him. And then we have our famous aqua regia, which in the very per- first episode and I think elsewhere we mentioned the them dissolving a Nobel gold prize so the Nazis couldn't find it, right? So um he described this, like the this the acid that could dissolve gold. Right? Like the royal royal water basically. Supposedly, take this with a grain of salt, he and, invented and I will. Yeah. He invented a paper that was fire resistant and an ink that could be read at night and a material that made iron rust resistant and when applied to textile, made it water-resistant. So this is all definitely possible. We just don't know if he actually did it or not. And if he did, why isn't it still around today or known? But who, but who knows? I mean, it's certainly possible. But when he's speaking of other arguments against alchemy, and I have this from the Alchemy Reader, which I've, I've uh, quoted before, he says, This science, they say, hath been so long sought by wise men that if it were possible in any way they would a thousand times before now 
have been masters of it. So this is what he's quoting other alchemists of, of saying. And he's just kind of, he goes beyond that and says, well, you know, you just, just because you don't know how it works doesn't mean it's not possible. An optimist. Yeah, sure. So we talk about the influence of Europe, Travis. Uh, I think that uh, uh, many things were, were given to Europe from the Middle East. And we're talking about the mathematics. We're talking about uh, some of the, the science uh, that was, was, uh, was founded in, in these, as we mentioned, learned communities. His works were translated into Latin as early as the 12th century and became a standard in alchemist books. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, he's the guy you got to go to. The Sudo Geber uh, even published under his name and uh, probably stole his identity for the sense that, that yeah. uh, he wanted that acclaim, right, mm-hmm. because he was so well sought after. Uh, we still say alkali today. You know, yep. we talk about alkaline batteries. We talk, you know, alkaline desert, that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, we use that word quite a bit. Uh, gibberish is thought yeah. maybe to be derived from his name. We talked about Geber. Uh, mm-hmm. It was a kind of a the the, the what most Western Europeans used uh, for his name. But gibberish would, would be something about poking fun at alchemists. Hey, you're talking yeah. gibberish. You're talking nonsense. This is yeah. this would is you, not real. If you read any medieval alchemist texts, that's what you're reading. You're reading gibberish. I mean, it's, well, I mean, talk about the angel, angel language. Who wrote the angel language? That was Edward Kelly. Edward Kelly, right? Or I mean, John John D. Rather. Yeah, yeah, John D. That's right, John D. So that would probably be considered gibberish to, to a lot of people, right? Mm-hmm. So, but there was something known as the Geber problem. What is that, Travis? So, how do you know which ones were Geber and which ones were pseudo Geber? Okay, so this was pretty difficult. I mean, it was just it wasn't really until the 19th century when people actually noticed a difference in styles, that uh, some were, because until then, they just thought that all of the things we had in the West were Latin translation of Jabir's. But then, the original. Yeah, yeah. But then in the 19th century, they realized that there was a lot more Latin texts than there were Arabic ones, and possibly some different styles. So to give some examples of, of what pseudo Geber clearly wrote, um, or at least we assume because there's no Arabic original, but the sum of perfection, the investigation of perfection, the invention of verity, the book of furnaces, the testament. So these are all under someone named, written by someone named Geber, but there's no Arabic known. And some people think that these could have been written under Moorish Spain, but again, like four to 500 years later. So they all, you know, again, we mention them together because whenever they were written, they were assumed to be, to be written by Geber, and they were all taken in as his you know, corpus that he wrote, and they were his all built bod- upon. His body of work. Exactly. Right. So they were all used as an influence for later alchemists. So it, you know, it's hard to say if you pick an alchemist from the 16th century, and if he says one of my influences was, was Jabir or Geber, and uh, you know, they quote him, they might be quoting some guy speaking Latin 500 years later. It doesn't matter. The influence is still there. Both of them were, were you know, clearly had an influence on later thinkers. To so just talk about Pseudo-Geber for a minute. So, again, he wrote his name as Geber in Latin. And so it was heavily influenced by Arabic books written by Jabir. But, and also influenced by Al-Razi, who we might do a podcast on. There's no Arabic... Uh, original and they're you know just stylistically and or at least you know they never they didn't pop up before around 1310 you know there's there's more there's a uh, summa 
perfectionis magisteri, the height of the perfection of mastery. There's Book of Stills, which is actually a very famous one, the Liber for Fornacum. There's uh, On the Investigation of Perfection. Uh, you know, I've mentioned some others on the discovery of truth. So, the inventions veritas. Yeah. Discovery of truth. Yeah, right? and then like the testament is you know, they even call it like testamentum gerberi, like the testament according to after him. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so uh, you know, it's it's hard to say, and some of these also quoted actual Jabir works. So it's it's really hard to kind of split exactly which one came from which. And just because we you don't have an Arabic original doesn't mean it didn't exist at some point and just wasn't lost. So it's it's really hard to pick those apart in some cases. But anyways, when we talk about the influence and the reputation, again, we usually end these podcasts with, you know, his him in popular culture. And again, it would be impossible in popular culture today to split pseudo Geber from Geber. I mean the name is once again larger than life. Right, so well, you know, why don't you give us some examples on? Well, we're, we're going to talk about uh, his relation to modern and uh, popular culture, uh, from comic books to movies. Uh, he's mentioned everywhere. Geber is mentioned in, in Paulo uh, Coelho's 1993 bestseller, The Alchemist. Have you read that? I haven't. I've, I know that it exists. I've read it. I've read it's, it. it's pretty is it, cool. Is it oh, good? Yeah, it's good. It's okay. really good. Uh, Jabera is also uh, said to be the creator of the fictional mystical chess set in Catherine Neville's novels, The Eight and the Fire. Mm-hmm. All right. In Shield, uh, Jabbar appears in the eighth-century leader uh, of an organization. Uh, Jabbar is also mentioned in the American uh, sitcom Big Bang Theory in the episode "The Guitarist Amplification." Mm-hmm. I think that's a there nice one. That's a funny yeah. one. Uh, uh, Jabir Ib- Ibn uh, Hayden is also mentioned in the graphic novel uh, "Habibi" uh, by Craig Thompson. Mm-hmm. All right, and then also in the DC comic book title "Demon Knights." Now I have heard of that. Uh, the 11th century engineer Al Jabbar uh, uh, appears to be based on Jabir uh, Ibn Hagen. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, it is it is picked up uh, uh, in several places as as uh, you know, maybe not in a historical sense, <laughs> maybe in the Alchemist a little bit, but but in the rest of them, uh, the the life is bigger than maybe the historical context. Sure, right? Yep. Folk, folk hero status. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely, his, the name lives on. So there you have it. Um, that's all we have today. So thanks for listening. Thank you. You've been listening to the History of Alchemy podcast with Travis Dow and Pete Coleman. For more information about this episode, other episodes, and other information about alchemy, alchemists, and related subjects, visit historyofalchemy.com. Find us on iTunes, subscribe, review, and don't forget to rate us. We'd love to hear from you. Send your comments, ideas, and corrections to podcast at historyofalchemy.com or get in touch via Facebook on the History of Alchemy podcast page or Twitter at Alchemy Podcast. Tune in to our sister podcast all about the Czech Republic, Bohemican, which is also available on iTunes or on bohemican.com. Until next time on the History of Alchemy podcast, thank you for listening. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.